Gitin Perikei Mishnah Tes 5.9, the last of the Perik and the last of the various Takanos we have here in um, these chapters. These Takanos, of course, again, are for Darche um, Shalom, for the sake of promoting peace between a man and his fellow. And this mission actually is a repeat of a mission we saw back in Meseches Shvius, and therefore it discusses topics that are related to the Shemitah year. Um, but the main picture here really, uh, the main issue here is um, what's called the Siul Advara Veira, which means literally um, helping someone to do some kind of sin. So let me make sure the big picture is clear. There's an Isser Da'orais in the Torah called Lifne Iver Losite Mechshal. You may not put a stumbling block in front of the blind, which Chazal understand to be understood also metaphorically, that to cause someone to do an Avera, or even to help them do an Avera, um, is uh, forbidden by the Torah. And to the extent that we're talking about an Isra Doraisa of Lifne Iver, so there would be no possibility of the rabbis being a Takana allowing people to do it for the sake of peace. So we have to understand that there's a difference between Lifne Iver and Siul Advaravera. And the difference basically is as follows. If it's the something where the sinner and the person who's assisting him um, need to work in tandem, and without the assistant, the sinner wouldn't be able to do his sin at all. So um, then that's called lifne ever. In other words, you're basically, without you helping him, he just wouldn't do the sin. So therefore, you're jointly responsible and you can't do it. On the other hand, if we're talking about something which a person could do on his own one way or another, he doesn't need you to do it. Um, it's just that you're, you're helping, making it, called making it easier for him. So then we're going to see in our Mishnah that we have some, that's in that's also forbidden, Midur Abanan, still forbidden, but only on a rabbinic level. And therefore, we're going to have leniency where the person who's doing the aiding of the person who's doing a sin um, is, uh, we're, we're talking about a rabbinic topic here, and as long as the person's not getting his hands dirty with the actual implementation of the Avera, so then it's going to be permitted in scenarios where the alternative is a worse, which is a lack of shalom between uh, a man and his fellow. That's the principle of our Mishnah here, um, according to the Bartanorah and according to many Rishonim. So here's the Mishnah inside, the first part of it. It says, A woman may lend to her friend, even if that friend is suspected to be someone who flouts the halachas of Shvius, the Shemitah year, um, she can lend her various tools used to make bread, like sifters and mills and ovens and so on. Now, the case here, the issue is as follows. There's an Isser from the Torah that once, that well, when it comes to Shemitah Protos, a person is indeed permitted to make use of stuff that grew, um, which is all ownerless, so known as personal ownership, special proprietary ownership over the prop, over produce that grows, whatever does grow, people can partake in, in under certain circumstances. Um, but if you bring, let's let's say wheat, so you bring wheat into your house, okay? Now, that wheat that you brought into your house, once uh, it's no longer available outside to the general public and the animals would be like, you know, foraging for food, so then you can't keep it in your house either. It reaches a time called Zaman Biur, the time for um, getting rid of that particular type of food, and the zman for beer, the time for the that removal from your house, um, varies from type of produce to private type of produce, depending on when it's not being available to the animals, you know, and, and the wild outside. But when that 
time of Bior arrives, a person is required to take the produce out of his house and um, declare it ownerless, being mafkarit. Um, so that, like, you know, people can get it, animals can get it, and so on. If a person then turns around and reacquires it and brings it to his house, that's permitted. But he has to first take it out and be mafkarit, render it ownerless. And if a person fails to do that, he didn't do the mitzvah of beer, and therefore the food that stayed in his house now has become forbidden to him, and the food is asr bachila. You can't eat it. So now that being the case, if you suspect your neighbor of not caring about the lachas of Shemitah, or not following the lachas of Shemitah, so then once the time of beer has passed, let's say for wheat, so then whatever bread you can make from wheat that grew in the Shemitah year will be forbidden, okay? Because it really had to go through beer, had to, had to be removed from her house, and it wasn't, Okay. The question is now, you think that's the situation. So you have been asked to lend your neighbor, you know, a, a, a sifter for her flour. The flour is forbidden and she's going to make forbidden bread and eat it. Are you allowed to lend her the sifter? So the mission's point here is, yes, you may. Um, some unfortunate folks, in the fact that it says lechaverta, her friend, and we understand this is like someone who they have, she has a pre-existing relationship with, like her neighbor or something, where, you know, if, you know, if she didn't lend it, then there'd be ongoing animosity that would be created by it. So here, we don't want the one neighbor to resent and fight with the other neighbor, and therefore, we let the neighbor who keeps Shemitah lend her sifter to her neighbor who she suspects doesn't keep Shemitah. Um, now, the reason why that's permitted is because... One way or another, this, you know, even if she can't, you know, sift her flour, okay, so she'll eat whole wheat flour or something like that. So it's not an essential thing um, that without this, the, she would not go hungry. She wouldn't go hungry. She'd still find a way to make, make bread. I'm just without the help of the neighbor. And therefore, since we're talking about only siyula devaravera and not actually, um, you know, make, you know, she wasn't, the lender wasn't necessary for the woman to eat forbidden bread. Um, uh, and also the woman is not getting involved directly with you know, making the bread or feeding her the bread. So therefore we're going to say in such a scenario where well, the alternative is much worse of a lack of shalom, so the neighbor is allowed to lend her sifter to her neighbor. Um, the four different implements we're talking about here are a nafa, which is used to sift flour, a kavara, which is used to sort like the um, the grains themselves, like little kernels of grain from, let's say, rocks and so on, a rechaim, which is a hand mill um, for grinding up the wheat grains, and the tunnel is the like a kind of a portable oven that's used for cooking, baking the the bread. So lending it is okay because you're talking about the rabbanan, not getting your hands dirty and actually doing activities with it. ima, but the neighbor may not actually um, do the sifting or the or the grinding of the wheat because then she sort of with her own hands facilitating this to happen, and that's that's too much. She cannot do that. Okay? That's the first part of our Mishnah. That's how I think the Bartonora learned it, and many Rishonim, and I think it's like a conceptual framework which would apply, um, you know, to cases easily outside of this Mishnah. And the most important place where you'd apply this principle is the all-important um, Shalom bias to have, uh, you know, good relationships between one, between spouses. So there, basically, for the sake of promoting and ensuring shalom bias, a person should be makele even on any durabanan for sure, um, not a doraisa. So the kind of same principle kind of is applying. Um, now, all that said, the Yushami learned the mission a little differently, and many Mepharshans speak out like the Yushami, so this is like a different approach uh, and a much less abstract conceptual approach. Um, but the idea is that, much more simply, if your neighbor is asking to borrow, you know, this hand mill to grind something, so you might be thinking, oh, she's using it to grind wheat, which would be forbidden because it's Shemitah year and that it's passed on Bior. 
Um, but you know what? She could be also using it to, she wants to grind up, you know, some cinnamon sticks or something. So the point is, there are other permitted uses, and since it's kind of a dual purpose item, you're allowed to, to lend it out. That's how the Yushami approaches much more, you know, straightforwardly. Okay. In any case, I like the much more conceptual framework, and we continue on um, with that. I think that's what Barth Nero learns. Um, further, with the uh, the next case here, which is also lending, but here we're moving away from Shemitah. There's not a Shemitah issue, really. This is um, an issue of, really a twofold issue of taking tithes and also um, conveying Tuma. Okay, so the, although the terms Chaver and Amha'aretz literally mean a Chaver is like a guy in the in-club, so like a Talmud Chacham, and an Amha'aretz means like a simple man of the earth, a simple person, so... Notwithstanding, um, they've become kind of terms of art which refer to uh, people who are a chaver, someone who's strict about two areas of halacha specifically. He's taking like a formal commitment to number one, tithe all the produce that passes through his hands. Um, that's a din de rabbanan. That's related to the halachas of demai because the rabbis saw in the time of the Mishnah that while most people do tithe their produce properly, um, a significant minority do not. And the rabbi said, although mid to so you could therefore rely on the food supply as being kosher because you can go after the majority. Since there's such a significant minority who don't tithe properly, uh, specifically regarding the trumas maestro, that like the 10th percent of the 10th, the the 10th of the 10th that um, is supposed to be separated by a levy to give to a Kohen, they don't separate that out like the rest are tithe, but that piece, that 1% is, uh, is highly problematic. So therefore the rabbi said, um, people have to be careful whenever they get produce from a non-chaver, meaning an arts, they have to then essentially, out of doubt, retake tithes, particularly the getting the trumas meiser as well as the meiser sheni um, out of the mix. Okay, so that's a dinder uh, Why is it derabanan again? Because midorai, so you can assume the food is is kosher. That's the one thing the chaver takes. Um, responsibility to do. Everything that passed through his hands, he ties properly. The other thing that the Chavar does is that he treats all foodstuffs and utensils in his house um, to ensure that they remain tahor. So even though there's actually no prohibition at all to allow regular food to become tummy and no problem to eat regular food in a state of tuma, that's not a problem. But people who are Chavarim, they talk about themselves to be more strict and they um, don't do that. They keep things, they keep their utensils and their food all tahor. Now, um, while there's no problem with regular chulin becoming tummy, um, regular chulin, ha, like let's say we'll talk about wheat here, if we make bread, so once you take the wheat, even if the wheat is, is chulin, it's already been fully tithed, right? It's masukan, but you turn it into dough, so at that point there's a new obligation that kicks in, the obligation to separate chala, hafrashas chala, um, to give to a Kohen, and that has a status like truma, it can't become tummy. Okay? So there you've got now a, an issue, and this really um, is is a, a serious issue, right? You can't you can't allow lachatir, you're not allowed to let um, you're not allowed to uh, let chala become tummy if you can help it. In other words, we can't help it, but a chaver makes sure he doesn't do that. Okay? So now, the case here is Aishas Chaver Mash Eles Aishas Amha Aretz. You have one neighbor is a Chaver family and they're strict about both tithing and Tumatahara. And the other neighbor wants to borrow something is an Amha Aretz, so they're not strict about tithing and they're not careful about Tumatahara. So the missionary says that the family that's more strict may lend um, to the family that's less strict. The mission says a Nafa Uchavara, like different kinds of sifters. 
but the truth is that it would equally be applicable to lending the, the mill or the oven. Rechaim and Tanor. And more than that, says the Mishnah, Uvoreres vetochenes umrakedes ima. The more the Chavar family neighbor is actually the wife who's from that family who lends the utensils can actually participate with her neighbor and help her in doing the sifting and the grinding and the of the of the the grain. Okay, now why is that? Because to sift or grind the grain, what are you doing already? There's no midoraisa. There's no problem here of of of, of tithing happening of being required because it's only an obligation of midoraban, and there's no issue of tumantar here because a the grain never got wet, so it's not susceptible to tumant. B even if it did become tummy, so what? It's it's a uh, that's not the end of the world to make to make chulin tummy. However, says the Mishnah, Aval Mishatatil Hamaim, once they the neighbors let who's who's an arts pours the water into the flour. So now, either then or soon thereafter, once you start mixing and agitating the water and flour together to make it into dough, there's an obligation that kicks in of separating challah. And therefore, at that point, um, you can't make a tummy anymore because it's it's challah. Um, they can't become tamil So therefore, it says the Mishnah, lo siga ima, so then hands off the strict chaver woman should not touch the dough with the ama'aretz woman, lest she make it tummy and have her hands part of that, that avera. Because you can assist and participate um, with uh, someone doing over even if through this, even if it's not going to be her hands that are doing it, and even if she's not, she's not you know, she, her hands are tahor and so on, but to participate with a non-Jew actively is not, excuse me, with the not from neighbors and actively is not uh, not appropriate. Mephorshans um, speak out, by the way, that after the dough is made, let's say now the neighbor, the Amarat neighbor, asks her chaver friend to say, let's say, knead the chalas, sorry, I should, excuse me, braid the chalas. So since the chala already became tummy and the and, and the hafresh's chala became tummy already, so then to braid the bread, loaves, um, does not make anything worse, and therefore she, she, the chaver wife, actually could participate in the braiding of the loaves of the bread. That would be acceptable because no there happening anymore. Now, the mission wraps up by saying like a new point here. So it's our first says, The reason for these enactments um, were for the sake of promoting peace, and therefore some make a deal that if it's a situation where for whatever reason not lending the utensil wouldn't in any way cause further friction and animosity, it would not be allowed because you are assisting, which is someone doing a vera, uh, and sealed vera is an isra durabonin. Okay? Fine. Um, the last part of the mission here is now something else. It says, Machzikim yede goyim b'shvias. You're allowed to encourage, literally strengthen the hands, uh, to encourage Gentiles on shvias, meaning you have, you see a Gentile who's plowing his field in Eretz Yisrael, in the Shemitah year. So are you allowed to say, you know, Hatlacha, you know, I hope it works out okay? The answer is, yes, you can. Why? Because what's the Gentile doing? He's not Mitzvah. He has no obligation to keep Shemitah. Even if you hold that there's no kinin of the Goyim to be Mafkiya, the land, and it's, the land is obligated, and even if you hold that the obligation is on the land itself as opposed to a Jew, but still, this Gentile is a Gentile. He's not obligated in the Torah Mitzvahs. So the fact that he's plowing land that shouldn't be plowed by a Jew or shouldn't be plowed, he's not doing anything wrong. Therefore, you can tell him, you know, God bless. You can tell Shalom Aleichem. That's all going to be okay. Avaloy Yedei Yisrael, you can't do that for a Jew, however. So either there's no great chiddush here, because how in the world could we think you're allowed to encourage a Jew to do an Avera, like, and say, good job. Um, 
But uh, the Ram in the parish understands that there are certain times when, um, because the alternative was, you know, potentially star- starving, that Jews were allowed to work the land in the Shemitah year. Uh, and when that's the case, well, maybe you have to do that, but you certainly don't, you don't uh, give verbal encouragement. So the point of your permission is verbal encouragement is okay for Gentiles, um, but not even for Jews. And if you're not participating, verbally encouraging a Jew to do an would be would be not good. And even if it's mutter for the Jew to do technically, if it's only a bit of a situation, you still shouldn't encourage him. So something like, you know, I don't know what, if if uh, a person is has to eat on Yom Kippur because there's a suffix pekoch nefesh, his doctor said, you know what, it's dangerous if he doesn't eat, so he's eating. So it's not appropriate to tell that Jew who's eating on Yom Kippur, beheter, he's allowed to, to tell him, you know, beteavon. No, you don't, we don't encourage it. That's not, not appropriate. Not appropriate. Okay. That's the Ram Parish Mishnah learns. Now, finally, Vishoalam Bishloman, you're allowed to greet a non Jew even on their like idolatrous holiday. You're allowed to greet them and you can say Shalom Aleichat to them, wish them well, uh, wish them even use the use the word shalom, which is Hashem's name, giving them bracha. That's okay. Mithidarche Shalom for the sake of peace. Rashi speaks out like why in the world not? What do you what, what will be the problem? So the problem is, you know, for all you know, he's now going to go back to his his uh, temple, idolatrous temple, his church, whatever it is, and you know, thank his God for getting a blessing from a Jew, or something, you know. So then you've sort of facilitated that happening, you know, precipitated it happening. But uh, it's not a, not a problem if you're talking about verbal encouragement and verbal greeting. You're allowed to even on their um, holidays, and certainly not on their holidays. You're allowed to, and in fact, the Gemara tells the famous story of Rabbi Yochanan who was. Um, no one ever said hello to him first. He always said hello to everybody. Um, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles alike. So a person should make his effort to greet um, non-Jews. I mean, in good terms with them, for the sake of promoting peaceful relations between Jew and non-Jew, which is a, certainly a value all to itself, and uh, one that the rabbis here are encouraging. And with that, we finished the fifth parak and the Takanos of Gitin, and now we go on to the sixth parak, returning to the main topic of Gitin itself.